when you got CONCACAF, but it was at home to Philadelphia. Oh. It's oh. That's So MLS. Oh. Oh, dear. A North American soccer podcast with myself, Adrian Bates, and Nick Thornton. <laughs> oops, 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 if you're Atlanta. <laughs> uh, how are you doing, Nick? Oh, you know, despite everything that is going on, uh, I'm doing okay. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Uh, the second uh, match day of fixtures was pretty good in MLS. I was almost surprised last night by CONCACAF Champions League. Oh yeah, that's happening. I definitely was. I um, I just happened to see on Twitter that someone who was talking about a game, and I was like, is there a midweek MLS game? And I was like, oh wait, of course. But what threw me off was because it was Atlanta and Philadelphia playing, so I was like, oh... Sweet. Midweek MLS action. Was not so. In fact, it was a, a, a very interesting CONCACAF result. <laughs> yeah, Atlanta. Atlanta, who won on the weekend. Yeah. And Philadelphia, who lost on the weekend. Yeah. Clash somehow with a, a, a 3 nothing away result. That's how you do it. Um, do we want to start there? Do we want to... Do we briefly want to... Uh, because they're first our, legs, I mean. Yeah, let's dip our toes into into CONCACAF, and then we'll work our way back into the uh, second week of MLS action. So yeah, we the essentially this was a game where many of the things that were working for Atlanta um, began working for them in the first half. Like you know, you had you had some pretty heavy hitting chances there mm-hmm. um, early on. Some great saves from Andre Blake. Uh, and then it all fell apart. And I think that there's a there's a a play where um Casper Shabilko is just hanging out alone um in the box on the imaginary offside line and is able to be sprung for a pass and shoots just fine. Is like an example is is an example of, of what is to come, which is Atlanta totally being shocked and odd that Philadelphia's best player is open on multiple occasions. Well, and not just open, but I really felt like Philadelphia kind of beat Atlanta at their own game in this one. That Philadelphia had these really quick counters and their strikers sitting in the perfect places. I mean, the the exact kind of breakaway plays that you're used to seeing from Atlanta and having... It, it almost reminded me of the um, Almiron-Joseph Martinez connection with the... One of them is, I mean, they're both going to be sprung free and one of them is going to definitely be open and ready to receive. And so the defenders all flock towards the one player trying to catch up. Meanwhile, there's a second player wide open and that happened a couple of times in this game. Um, it's a great response from Philadelphia after uh, a loss to, I believe it's Chicago, right? Um, earlier in the week. So. Yeah. It was great from them, but it, it really looked like sort of two sides that almost had switched places in terms of um, playing style. And as you said, the CONCACAF part of it is Atlanta's at home in a just <laughs> packed stadium, which... Mm-hmm, um, yeah, I also saw it because it was Atlanta like, versus Chicago and then Philadelphia versus Miami. And I was like, I wanted to look up the number because I was like, that looks bad, man. It looks real full. Um, however, it was, yeah, it was Philadelphia in the end that did it. Just, I don't quite know what was going on for Atlanta. I'm, I don't want to like gloss over, you know, the nuances of every single game that's played this season, but I don't think it's going to be the first or last time we just see really kind of uncharacteristic performances from teams and, and teams just get caught a little flat footed. Um, I, I think that, out of MLS sides that have depth enough in their rosters to be competitive in MLS and in CONCACAF, um, Atlanta and Philadelphia are certainly two really good examples, but I think you also see some of the tiredness come out. Um, and Atlanta just looked very much second best for most of this match. The attendance, the announced attendance was 20 for the Chicago match. I'm not sure about the, the CONCACAF one. But the, the announced attendance for the Chicago match was 21,300, which is a really worrying number if you use the normal soccer attendance. 
which is uh, the normal attendance is 42, 500, so that's 50%, which is a little bit north of where I would want to be with that many people. Uh, but if they had the full, like, 73,000 seating arrangement, I'm not 100% sure what they what they used with that. But if they, if they had the full version of Mercedes-Benz, it's just south of 30%, which I could sort of, you know, cringe and bear a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it is what it is. Um, just if you live anywhere else and you're seeing that kind of attendance in a soccer stadium, it's it's just, it's real jarring. Um, the, um, how is it? The, I was going to say with, uh, with Atlanta in that game, you know, I, I think that if you're looking at, I don't know, ways to explain the result. I think one is that honestly, Philadelphia found their opportunities and I know that three nothing is not a, oh, they found their opportunities. But it's like there's this uh, there's this shot where Sosa hits the crossbar at one nothing, and that's a very mm-hmm. different game if that goes in. I feel like like Atlanta had plenty of opportunity. They woke up and all of a sudden were not the team that beat Chicago three one. They were. It's just they weren't able to yeah. make. They weren't able to capitalize. In Philadelphia was able to at a at a critical moment just start ripping them open. Mm-hmm. Well, and what I like about Philadelphia when they're firing on all cylinders is their ability to hit you for one, and then they just keep pushing and pushing and pushing, and it just becomes this relentless attack. So Atlanta was good in the sense they were able to get out of their own end and not just defend for an entire match, but they just... It was sort of like Philadelphia couldn't really put a foot wrong, and Atlanta's chances just wouldn't really fall for them. But I I agree, there's opportunities here for the game to be equalized or certainly within touching distance this wasn't atlanta getting played off of the park um but full credit to philadelphia for just having a hell of a game i mean the the counter attacks the the crispness of their passes the accuracy of those long passes coming in um it just yeah it, it, it's devastating when it when it comes off right and i also loved joseph martinez's neon haircut the short pink ne- neon pink hair is certainly a look, and I don't hate it. Tremendous. Uh, the a team that had you know we we every MLS team has challenges when coming up against uh, Mexican sides. Toronto had a great uh, go of it against Leon, um, but they had less of a uh, of a good time against Cruz Azul um, last night, losing three one in Raymond James Stadium. Um, or did I have that right? Is it three? Yeah. Yeah. It was three. It was uh three, one in the first leg, both of these first legs. Um, and at a time, you know, this is also one where it was one, one, because, you know, it was a wild, some of the things that we're going to critique from them. Um, you know, you had an opening goal that mm-hmm. was pretty, you know, unplayable in terms of somebody who's in double pressure at the top of the box and is able to uncork something uh, spectacular. It's not mm-hmm. the not the same as the big issue which is going to come up with these the last two goals that that really put Toronto in a terrible position trying to um, trying to muscle a result in Mexico which is um, set pieces. Mm-hmm. They they had some terrible times again before the two goals. There's another free kick where it bounces back and his shot just wide and could have gone in. Um, if, you could, if you had to pick a word to describe Toronto's defending in this game, what word would it be? Um, perfunctory. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because on these on these these two goals that come up, um, and the 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 Angelo goal and the the Aguilar goal later. All three, the the assist, the first assist and the goal uh, are being marked by Zavaleta and Moro on that first goal. And the second one, you've got a guy rising up to beat Michael Bradley on a, uh, on a free header, on a free kick, mm-hmm. which I don't think that should happen. <laughs> Not to say that it doesn't happen. It has happened. But it's like, you know, if you're looking at 
at Bradley against a guy who I think is shorter than him. <laughs> like, like you, the 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 defense was just not at, like people were. Maybe this is maybe a perfunctory was mean, but but I mean like 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 it was in place. Players were roughly where you may have expected them to be, but they didn't work <laughs> in those there, locations. A glowing report, if I've ever heard one. Players were technically sort of where they were supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, like they were. Play- wow, you heard it here first. Toronto players were on the pitch and almost near the players they were supposed to be marking. This wasn't. This wasn't as per the game that we were just talking about. This wasn't like, hmm, the top scorer is standing all alone by himself in the box. How did that happen? Like, like everybody was mar- marked in the sense that people were near them, mm-hmm. but they weren't being marked by those people that were in position. It's also interesting that um, I know they'd wanted to have Zavaleta back in the lineup. And I, I think it's, you know, maybe not the worst decision in the world to have the young center back Luke Singh not starting in this match. Um, and it was it's curious too. I wonder if having Alex Bono in goal is, is maybe cost them a little bit of, organization but that sort of for me has been the thing that i've i've seen from toronto or chris armis's toronto side so far is that there there's certainly a lot like the team doesn't look completely different but that confidence and organization and and systems just seem to have broken down a little bit and it's not clear to me who's meant to be organizing things um in defense there. And I, I, I just wonder, I don't know enough about um, Westberg versus Bono, who's who's more vocal, but I'm, <laughs> I'm almost wondering if, I mean, I think Bono's a fantastic goalkeeper. I think Westberg is too, but I, I, I sort of feel like I hear Westberg shout a lot and be a little bit more commanding of that area. And it, so far, the Armis Toronto era, just, it lacks that same, um, yeah, just, overall organization of that back four is just not as present. And, and I <laughs> like that word of perfunctory. I was really hoping you were going to say chaos. And I'd be like, well, and who's head coach? Just like the old Red Bulls day. But I think Armis is doing the right things with Toronto. And I think he's, you know, he's still trying to figure out what the, the starting 11 is. And of course they just had a recent arrival for, uh, to shore up that attack a little bit. But I would say, as of right now, I'm not so worried about Toronto's attack as I am about their defense. Yeah, as Michael Singer of Waking the Red says, don't worry, Jefferson Salpedo will solve all of TFC's problems defending set pieces. I'm yeah, sure. yeah, it's sort of like a very MLS way to solve the wrong problem. Uh, and I, and I, that, it could still pay off. Yeah, he, uh, he is a, uh, a midfielder slash forward coming from Santos. Is the club's third designated player. Um, he's scored 20 goals since January 2019, which is an interesting way of putting it. Um, <laughs> according to the... Uh, since the beginning of his playing career, age of five, he scored hundreds of goals. <laughs> but 23 is a great age. Looks like a, a fantastic player, high-caliber player to come in and, and from Venezuela, shore up that attack for sure. Um, and of course, fills that third designated player spot for Toronto. So, uh, yeah, it. I, I also think it's one of those things where maybe it's not terribly surprising the result. I think what's so disappointing, especially for TFC fans, is just seeing their side kind of so easily out of it in this one. I think that, and just not getting those little things right. I think that one of the things that didn't work with Pablo Piatti last year. And, and what they would need from this person. You know, the club doesn't need another Sebastian Jovinko because I think that the, that replacement is um, is Pozuelo. That the club mm. needs another Victor Vasquez. Yeah. That in yep. and, and and that's the that's the piece I feel that they were missing they've been missing most since his departure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, if we wanted, if we want to touch briefly then on, on the, the match they did have with the Vancouver Whitecaps where unfortunately, you know, they, unfortunately for Vancouver, um, Vancouver came off with a win. Toronto came off with a, uh, a, a loss in the first week and, uh, it's neither side would, uh, would repeat that performance. 
Before we get into the particulars of the game, I'm curious to know, from your perspective, do you feel like... Who do you feel like was disappointed by this result? Or do you feel like, basically, if you're, if you're TFC or you're Vancouver, what's your reaction to this? Mm, okay, so I know... The that, shared point. The, the one thing that I would want to see that I don't have in front of me right now is the... What the... Um, the list of missing players was, because I think that really kind of seals in terms of seals it. I know that Toronto had, um, uh, or I know that Vancouver had a couple of other people that they had been hoping to get um, through, um, through COVID protocols on the bench or or in the eighteen. I know that um, Bruno got to play. I think Kyle got to play. Kyle was on the bench at least. I think. Yep. Uh, Kyle Alexandra got, I think it was about a 65th or 70th minute sub. So he, he got some minutes, had a, a good showing, but. I, I think out of context, you would look at it and say, you know, we're, we're so concerned. I think all the time that to have that Vancouver had this lead and they conceded this lead through a pretty silly goal. Um, that, you know, I think came off of. Uh, Christian Gutierrez's face, but um, I think it was off of Baldi's face. Baldi, right? It was, not that it really, not that it really matters. I think it was Goody. <laughs> it was Goody. In Goody tries to clear the ball and he clears the ball right into Baldissimo's face. I think um, that's right. And then it just falls to um, to Osorio who who finishes it. It's easy to be disappointed about that because obviously holding on to what we have is is has been challenging at times for the Whitecaps. But I think in the broader picture of where these two clubs are and, and the fact that TFC are making their purchases and that Toronto has, and that Vancouver has not been able to make all their purchases in, in the, the relative level, Tor- Vancouver having the lead was pretty impressive to begin with. And we're all in this, as you've, as you've mentioned before, sort of half preseason phase. Mm-hmm. Where I think that this is an experience that hopefully can be built on. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's fair. I, I mean, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's sort of like a, a point is acceptable for both. And you know, maybe I think there's probably parts of uh, the performances from both sides that they'll be disappointed about. Um, Toronto will be disappointed that they let Vancouver back into the game. Vancouver will be disappointed they let Toronto back into the game at the end. But I think it is a pretty acceptable road point uh, for Vancouver. And and good for them to fight back after an early goal. Luke Singh, uh, the young centre-back, scores an early set piece. Vancouver's just completely all over the place, still looking like they're in like warm-up drills. Just not... Oh my god. Not dealing with the set pieces. We know that's been an issue in the past. It continues to be. That's something I'd really, really love to see tightened up is the defending on set pieces from Vancouver. Um, To find yourself six minutes in, in an away game, down a goal, just feels very Vancouver Whitecaps 2020 through 2015. Oh, man. You you want to talk about a disorganized back four. There were some moments in this game where it's all just, just... Just everything is pinging, shifting every which way that the ball is moving. But importantly, um, Vancouver got themselves back in it. So, I mean, it was kind of mostly TFC through the first half, I felt. Um, early in the second half, Cavallini's just dancing through defenders. And then he, he gets chopped by uh, Larea. And he, I feel like he goes down very easy, but... We know in the modern game, as soon as a striker feels any sort of contact in the box, they're going to fall down like they've been shot. So that's fine. I, I, I would have been fine if they called that one back, but I think it is the right call to call it a PK. Um, you know, Larea's just got to get a little bit more sure-footed in that, sure-footed in that challenge. And then Dahomey just, even though Bono guesses correctly, goes the right way, Dahomey just curls a, a real quick one in to, to level in early in the second half. I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to put that too much on Kava, nor that I, nor do I think it's you know, super cynical or anything, or, or uh, because it really just looks like a normal tackle that missed the mark. Yeah, yeah, that's probably a, a fair assessment of it. I mean, I think Cavallini knows what he's doing there, but I also think he's got every right to do that. I mean, that's 
Strikers all around the world do that all the time. There's definitely contact. I agree. It's definitely a foul. It's a foul inside the box. Penalty. This this goal, I think, obviously, the, the, the nicest, um, most pleasant thing for the Whitecaps is this goal from Andy Rose, who uh, gets on the end of Gucci's cross for a header. Yeah, and, you know, a player that in the first 20 minutes or so of Vancouver's opening game and certainly large points of last season was much derided. Gutierrez has quickly emerged as you, you all, I mean, it seems fairly obvious that Ali Adnan is just worth way too much money to be sitting on the bench uh, when he's finally available and cleared to play. But Gutierrez is making certainly a case for himself. Uh, he's made team of the week the first two weeks in a row in MLS uh, and has uh, having a great time down that left side. I'm almost starting to wonder if um, when Adnan's available, they push Gutierrez up and they have a more interchanging kind of fluid relationship over on the left. I think um, that's good. Another the, great game from him. The other thing that you have to think of with him as well is that, that Gaspar also is in that zone, I would think. You would expect Gaspar to be around there somewhat. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think... I thought Norwinsky had an okay game. I thought he had a couple of brilliant plays and a couple of just real howlers as right. well. What am I saying? I, but, I, what am I saying? Left versus right. Yes, I think that you're absolutely right that he could, that he could push forward. But I... I do believe Gaspar can also play on either wing, so mm. I don't think that that's a, you know, a, <laughs> a major misstep. I think we could. I think it's high. Like as much as people just think like for like substitutions, I, I can certainly see situations where, you know, in order to shore up a little bit defensively, but also add speed on the wings, because Vancouver has been a little bit light on the wings. You know, why not have Nerwinski at the back and put Gaspar in front of him? Or you certainly think like the final 20 minutes of a game, push Nerwinski up and put Gaspar in to shore up things in defense. Like it gives you options on either side because a fullback is essential is in many ways now operates much like a winger. If anything, I just think we haven't had this kind of depth in our fullback position since, you know, the Jordan Harvey and Stephen Bittisher days. Like, uh, it's it's certainly a tasty proposition that we've got depth there now and, and real talent. It's it's something that I think that you know we've definitely made the acquisitions for it. Not to put the not to put the the warning or or to or to pump the brakes because I think it has been good. The one thing that I will note is that I'm very happy with the fitness and and attentiveness of everyone that came back from Concacaf camps because mm. they had a little bit of advanced thought that Gutierrez is going to progress yep. to the that we're going to see Gutierrez fall off once everybody else you know um gets uh gets uh, up to speed that's a slight concern um but I do think that certainly being you know you see he was in the CONCACAF tournament um Cavallini was in World Cup qualifying and looks very good coming out of it I think that there have been some that there's definitely some stat bonuses yep. from uh, to use the video game style phrase on uh, on on totally. players that took part there. Totally. Absolutely, and and we know too. I mean, we'll see which competitions actually happen this year and which ones don't. But as the season gets stretched and players are in and out for international duty. To know that you've got the depth, I think, is the biggest thing. To know that you're not going to be left completely high and dry and your only other option on the bench is an academy product, um, which, again, is, takes nothing away from them. But if you have to feel like in some big game situations, uh, you're going to want to know that you've got depth, especially defensively, and, and players that you trust to come in. And that's that's all part of it, right? Is everybody's? I think Vancouver has made a real effort to sign players that are playing internationally. I mean, MDS has not been silent about that. He wants players that are competing at the highest level. And if you're not on your national team, he wants you on the radar of the national team, you know, in, in the under 17s, under 19s, under 23 realm. Um, it's unfortunate from Vancouver that this last weird goal happens, but I don't think it's necessarily a mistake so much as it just doesn't, it's just a poor clearance. Um, 
but it's doing the right thing to boot the ball out of your <laughs> penalty box as quickly as you can. And Baldissimo is like trying to turn away and it just comes off his face and then lands perfectly at Osorio's feet, who's able to scuffle it into the net. But it's an unfortunate mistake. I still think an important road point, um, you know, and for Vancouver to be undefeated in their opening two games is certainly acceptable. And hey, we drew a game finally That's in a, over I a calendar year. That we, I forgot we didn't That's draw That's for celebration. Um, we mentioned it... We mentioned it briefly. Literally uh, no the, the Philadelphia Miami draw uh, one two win for Miami, uh, a team like Toronto that had a had some challenge in its first uh, in its first match, but they uh, they got some success here from the combination of Iguains. All Iguain brothers all the time. Okay, but before that, how do you feel about these Philadelphia jerseys? <laughs> The with the elect the 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 blue lightning bolt on like a sky blue jersey with some I have yellow. Two, I have I, what? I have t- I have odd thoughts about this. Um, and and the the jersey you probably didn't think I was going to bring up in 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 combination is the racing Louisville jersey from NWSL. That is a jersey that I look at mm. up close in the product picture and think, oh man, that's beautiful. And the Union's blue jersey is one where I look at it and I think, I can't see any. I can't see anything that I'm supposed to see here. I can't see the badge. I'm straining to see the the neon yellow against the blue. This is a lot. There's a lot happening here. But you pull back to the hard camera, and the racing Louisville jerseys, which are black mm-hmm. with floral pattern, are all of a sudden, the mm-hmm. the floral patterns turn into big blotches, and you can't see any numbers or whatever. Yeah. You can't really see numbers on the on the Philadelphia kits either. Um, but I I think at a distance they work much better than they do up close. That's fair. I mean, I think they look pretty sharp, and and they're just fun. I think here's here's where my reaction is coming from. In an era of like all-white flimsy Adidas jerseys that seem to just be, like, a constant, ever-present thing to have something with, a, like, lightning bolts on it. I'm just, like, put it into my veins! Every, so. every team should have lightning bolts on their jerseys. That's... Or at least a, it's a loud, fun. fun pattern. It's fun, and I like that. I think that, that for the longest time, people have been concerned. You know, whenever anybody thinks about jerseys... The, the battle of jerseys they think of the of, of adidas versus mm-hmm. nike but both providers have been making some kind of like plain jerseys in the last couple of years and i feel like the new competition is mls templates versus these immaculate you know seemingly fashion designed uh lower lower level home team home away in, in third yeah. kits yeah that uh, that attract a following from around the totally. world. It could be this. This is this feels like it's not necessarily on the level of say like you know the the forward Madison, uh, the forward Madison sort of like a color resin mm-hmm. jersey, but I think it's one that's like the closest to being one that makes an actual statement. Definitely. <laughs> All right, listeners. Yes, there was an actual game as well. But come on, we got to get the important stuff out of the way first. Um, so <laughs> this is this is the this fun is, of the exactly. game for me. There some chances in the in the first half of this one. It was it felt like pretty even for that sort of opening forty five. But um, it's in early into the second half that it's Montero who gets Philly off the mark. Just kind of runs through traffic. Um, Miami's a bit sort of all over the place, um, getting caught a little bit out on the counter. But overall, I thought Miami's defense showed a, a lot more grit in this game uh, to hold Philly off the score sheet. I, this this being the lone Philadelphia goal, I felt like um, it's it's a little bit less of a mistake and a little bit more of just uh, Montero running like a freight train and refusing to give up or and not shoot the ball. 
Um, and it's it kind of you feel like, oh, okay, here we go. This is going to be like Philadelphia's turned on the Jets, um, and things are going to be good. However, <laughs> Inter Miami oh. showed that they have other gears in their locker, and it's just a really, really well worked free kick from um, Federico Iguain over the top, and who finds it? But it's Big Brother Gonzalo. All of a sudden, we got a one-one game. My Iguain, my Iguain and me, um, with the uh, with the, the the first with the first goal, and it is Federico again. Um, in some senses, you know, uh, a a less heralded, less you know, maybe talked about signing, uh, but a a power player on any other MLS team. Absolutely, um, I mean, he held down who, the crew for a long time. Who uh, I'm trying to figure. I'm trying to remember who it was who sent him this. Uh, who who gave him the assist? But I felt that that player had a lot of time to wait at the top of the box to be like, "When is Federico Iguain's forehead available?" <laughs> it was. I'm waiting was, for. I'm waiting for my you know, appointment. It's, funny, it's so funny when we don't compare notes and and then we end up with the same note. But I, I had mine like, "Who sends this beautiful cross in? <laughs> He's got ages to do it." <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Federico makes it 2-1. Uh, his brother Gonzalo almost added another one, but it's saved by Andre Blake. And Miami come away with their first win of the season in what I thought, or second win, right? No? First. No, they lost last They lost last week. That's correct. Jorge Figal, the uh, uh, the center back, is, is, the, is the man who's, who we're trying to deliver flowers to. Great. I, I love it. Figal, right? I think I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but that's that's what I have on my team sheet. Lovely, yeah. It was a great from Miami. Um, we've we've talked about what they've needed to do better, and and this game for me was one where uh, you sort of you see things that Miami can continue to improve on. But I felt like we finally saw, uh, you know, the the upsides and and that actually come to full fruition and to get really crucial three points against a Philadelphia side that regrouped and then blew Atlanta out of the water. So it's sort of strange to just remind listeners, this game happened before Philly beat Atlanta in CONCACAF action. So um, they were able to, to right the ship as it were, but just fantastic result from Miami. I'm, I'm happy for them. I feel like they've done a lot really well and they've had some great stretches of play. And it was nice to see that finally come off into um you know some actual goals. Last week, when uh, when Miami faced the LA Galaxy, it was a a um, a high powered affair between two teams, high on attack and low in defense, that ended in a three two win for the Galaxy and, and multiple goals scored by Chicharito. And wouldn't you know it? It's that time again this week as the Galaxy beat New York Red Bulls three two with a hat trick for Chicharito. So good. So good. Um, yeah, the spaces he's he's operating in, I mean, it's just, it's all, it's just Chicharito's bread and butter. I thought it was a, a really good performance from LA Galaxy. Um, I felt like it was very stop-start. The I watched most of the second half, and oh boy, just neither team could really quite connect the ball in the right ways, but I felt like... You know, the Red Bulls have been struggling for sure, but I thought they showed a lot of fight in this game, and they really worked to break up LA's play at the end. I mean, this game really could have gotten away from them. I I felt like there were moments where you felt like this could have been (laughs) 6-2 or 6-1. And so credit to the Red Bulls for hanging in there and and getting themselves back into it, but I really felt like uh, the final ball for the Red Bulls... and, and that whole final third was just just not happening for them, especially as the game wore on. They were able to break up play, hit LA on the counter, and then it all just sort of came to nothing very quickly. And I felt like Galaxy didn't need to even really, um, I don't want to say defend too hard, but like it, I don't feel like it was really more a case of Red Bulls shutting themselves down <laughs> in that final half than it was uh, LA Galaxy winning the ball back. They got a couple. They they'll they'll be happy with um, getting Andrew Gutman his first goal, um, but I think that definitely they could have made more work in terms of trying to to get the game back because there were there were 
uh, openings that they could exploit from time to time. Definitely, and and certainly with a little bit more clinical finish, I think we saw we saw the upsides to LA Galaxy, um, and we also saw some familiar sights where the defense was just not fully clicked in. There's just a lot of giveaways in the in the middle of the park, um, and I I have to imagine that that's something Greg Vanny is going to be addressing either through. Uh, you know, training, of course, but also maybe some lineup switches. I think there's some players that, you know, have been starting for LA Galaxy that I wouldn't be terribly surprised if we saw a little bit of rotation there um, just to see if, you know, Vanny can get a better defensive performance. And and just that, again, like the concentration to get that final ball through. Um, Again, Red Bulls pressed and, and were able to break up the attack, but it, it also felt like a Galaxy game where they got a little bit excited and it was just run-and-gun style, and they probably needed a little bit more calm in the, the, you know, the final stages of this game. Last week, we worried. Um, I also want to talk, before I, I, I drift off of the, the LA game, the second, the second Chicharito goal, where all he has to do is really just hang out between the center backs until somebody realizes that he's there. Yeah, it's very amusing. Um, the uh, last week Cincinnati got a, a you know put in a performance that made us wonder. You know, is this a is this a different Cincy we're going to see this year? And in some cases, yes, but there is some things will stay the same, and that includes uh, a heavy loss to New York City FC. In Yankee Stadium. Don't bring your baseballs to a soccer match. Oh, <laughs> yeah. This one, I took no pleasure in this result. I <laughs> I really feel for Cincinnati fans. This was a, a pretty terrible performance from them. Um, five different goal scorers for New York City FC, including Nick Hagland of Cincinnati. Um, oops. Um, I feel like the first goal actually kind of just really sums it up a little bit. It's just that there's no one in Cincinnati bothered with marking anyone in the box. It's it's just this kind of lazy stand-around approach of, well, we technically have bodies in the box, but you've got all these New York City FC players open. And we know that New York City FC likes to press and likes to send a lot of players in. But you've got to be picking up those those runners. I mean, even just <laughs> perfunctory <laughs> would have been a better would have been an improvement over this. Of just like, can you just like stand near your player? Just try. Like, can you maybe just be on the same part of the pitch as him? Um, I will say this: that you know, the, there's the the first goal happens fairly quickly. Brenner from Cincinnati almost has an equalizer, but Sean Johnston just said no to everything in this game and it is one of those results that sort of belies you know Cincinnati had pretty good possession pretty good passing accuracy I think they had 11 shots three of which run goal not great stats but it's not like they were blown off the pitch in terms of the the you the full play it was just that in terms of the important part of actually putting the ball into the back of the net New York just went full New York on them and and sort of goals by committee but a lot of chaos in the box like just failed clearances half clearances people not marking um, and it's just this sort of constant onslaught from New York uh, the uh, in we, we talked a little bit um, I'm going to move to the I, I would like to try and move on to uh, Sporting Kansas City, Orlando. Unless you had another point to make about the game, um, not not too much. No, um, I mean it's it's more of the same. People not marking the far post. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, so we we saw you know the 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 brief moment in the LA game of Chicharito waiting for that second goal to be approved and then having getting a second goal celebration as if he didn't get enough in that game to begin with. Once once VAR approved it and another VAR-tastic yeah. game. Was was this uh, uh, Kansas City versus yeah. Orlando? Yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, you know, truly a game where I felt like they, they canceled each other out in their play and they canceled each other out in the result with two really amazing goals and the rest of it was pretty, eh, you know, 
give it a six out of ten for both teams. Like not not great performances, but not terrible. Um, the just uh, where's my notes here? Sorry, I was looking at the wrong, <laughs> the wrong game. Um, yeah, the three offside goals in this game. Like just <laughs> and all of it was the right call. You know, like. I agree, and I think the Chicharito one was the right call too. Yeah, it's. I'm and I'm glad VAR this year so far, and knock on wood, not to jinx this, but I feel like it's been quick, it's been efficient, and it's been pretty correct most of the time, um, which is what you want to see. But it uh, also, like, I guess in some way for Orlando, it signals your intention if you're able to score three <laughs> or at least two goals and have them chalked off. But like. Ugh, it's just it's a little bit frustrating as well when you just think hey, just time your runs a little better, guys. Like this could be uh, a three-one or a four-one victory, and instead it's a tie. I I only have one one sour grapes with the far to to call, which is that in this game, this first one, it's the Busio free kick that's de- deflected through traffic, and it falls to Marin who scores. But apparently Marin was was offside before the point of the deflection. Um. But if that's the case, is it the Jonathan Osorio game in, goal in Vancouver, Toronto, yeah. uh, where Osorio was offside at the like like I I th- I think the rule when it came to that one, I think the rule is if it comes off a defender, it's all you know that's that's the end of it. You know the yeah. the defender the defender kicks it into the defender and it comes off in that one. Maybe that's how you look at it is is where the ball strikes. But I think if it comes off a defender, you're you're good to go. Yeah. I thought was the the thought process behind the Osorio goal. So I'm not entirely sure why it doesn't apply here. Well, we've established that we do not understand offside anymore. <laughs> if indeed we understood I also it love, I also love that they had Vengabus going and had to turn it off. <laughs> so um good. There's a lot going on in this I also one. wanted I also wanted to um to to shout out the 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 howler from Orlando defense as Daniel Shallowy is like just sort of buzzing around on a deep, deep defensive position. The the least dangerous position for 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 uh for sporting Kansas City you can think of somehow becomes a goal as he uh stays locked in and is able to surprise somebody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, we got the week's dirtiest goal through Nani. Um, it's not even the back heel goal; it's the look. Like, go find the go find <laughs> the replay of it and just freeze frame the look on his face of just this like sneer and like over his shoulder. Like, yeah, that's right. This is happening. It's just amazing. So good. Um, uh, j- there are back heels there. I mean, I guess every Bacula is going to look like, you know, have that, that filthy look to it. But it's like, this one specifically seems nonchalant. Yeah. And and when like he, his upper body with his back move. to goal and you see him signal and you're like, he's going to hit it with his back foot. And, I, and you, of course, you immediately just think he's going to miss it. Like, I, I immediately flash to uh, Balotelli in Vancouver playing LA Galaxy in an MLS exhibition match and just (laughs) scuffing it past the net with a lazy back heel and then quickly getting subbed off um rest in peace balotelli's career but like this is just so effortless and just it's just dirty (laughs) it's just a dirty dirty goal (laughs) but great um I thought there was a lot of heavy tackles in this one i liked there was few cards it was a, a good chippy physical match um, it's great to see Orlando go toe-to-toe with a good opponent and get something out of it. Um, it's maybe not Orlando's best performance um, or Sporting Kansas City's, but I think it, it's great, and I feel like it's we can easily say, you know, now with some comfort, like this is a very different Orlando club now. Um, and last year I think they, they really shook a lot of the demons out from their first few seasons in MLS and and this season is really cementing them as as a totally legitimate MLS side who's going to be very difficult to play against for everyone. Um in Nashville Montreal you had a uh Montreal again started very strong another goal from Mason Toy another uh or a goal from Brogiard that basically looks just slightly less pretty than that Nani backheel 
that uh, that goes uh, that is a strike from the top of the box that hits the crossbar, and it and hits Dave Romney on the way. And uh, <laughs> that's important. Like if you're going to score a goal that looks great off the the crossbar, make sure you hit a defender on the way too. Um, but they fall apart defensively, and it's a, a miracle that they draw this game because it really feels that. Um, Nashville is able, especially in the second half, is able to put the ball to them. It feels like the defense has no idea what they're doing. It feels like one of the goals, like Diop is like doing the splits after. Like he's, he's, he had a lot to do. The best part of that is afterwards, the camera cuts back to him trying to like get himself up from the splits position, kind of stuck on the field. Like, really right there, like trying to get off the the couch at the end of the workday. Just are like, here we go, here. Okay, one more. Here we go, here we go. Um, yeah, and also we should say congratulations, Brogiard. That's his first MLS goal. I thought he'd bagged a couple already, but um, that was his first one. Just powering down the side. Yeah, the for opening stages, Montreal looks great, hitting um, Nashville, really catching them off guard, and then Nashville sort of remembered who they were and and got back into it. This uh, easy header for Cadiz, who gets his uh, second goal of the season. It's kind of weird chaos at the end that leads to the Mukhtar goal, um, but <laughs> he finds the ball at his feet, turns, and doesn't miss a, a great striker's goal I, it's kind of hard to see in the replay but at no point is he looking at the net all he sees is that ball the ball falls to him and he <laughs> looks at it and just goes i think i think i'll put you in the back of the net and does so and yeah nashville came really close to winning this one um there's two efforts off of the post and montreal just yeah i agree d- hangs on for dear life and somehow escapes with a point so i think it's a a great point for Montreal against an amazing Nashville side. And they would probably be pretty disappointed overall in their performance that um, I, I feel like this was within Montreal's grasp to win a, uh, an entertaining match between two, I think less heralded sides so far this year was San Jose Dallas. How dare you? Well, I mean, <laughs> when I say less heralded, it's not that Dallas is bad. It's just that they're not heralded. Well, there's there's little to well, there is little to uh, to grab onto as of yet. Um, and, right. and I thought that they looked fine here, but this was San Jose's game in terms of getting a penalty uh, early on that they that was saved by Maurer, but then they get another penalty, which um, Alanis is able to score. Espinoza, who was the one cut down for that penalty and who had the penalty saved, is found on the break with a through ball and is able to make it work. Uh, Can we talk about the best play in this game, though? Oh, my God. Which is not a goal. Please. This goal line clearance from Fierro, just running back and, like, determined to get there and then, like, bicycle kicks a volley out of the net. Oh, I did not see that. That's wild. <laughs> like his life depends on it. And I mean, it is an amazing defensive play, but it has got to seem so much extra sweeter to a San Jose fan that like that level of commitment to defending <laughs> of just like he, he's so far behind the run of play and the ball and somehow manages to get back to scoop that one out of the net. It's, it's really something to behold. Um, so well done, Fierro. Fantastic job. Um, I'm sure he's listening, just waiting for his name to be called here. But yeah, it certainly it was it was really all San Jose in this one, wasn't it? The third goal is Cowell beats two dudes on the ground with a with sort of like a just sort of an eye watering uh, footwork. <laughs> it is it is it, it's great footwork from him for sure. But man, you've got three defenders around one player in your own box, and not one of them can get a foot in. Not a great look. We talked at the end of last season and, and our sort of preseason buildup about how we weren't sure about Dallas, who seemed to keep continually be shipping away their good parts, not really bringing in super strong replacements, um, or maybe just not improving as much as they could year over year. And I'm starting to feel like we're not too far off in our assessment of Dallas. I mm. mean, and it's not, I'm not just doing the thing of like, well, San Jose sucks and they beat them. Like, San Jose had a great game. and Yes. Solidly deserved this win, but it just—it was all so flat from Dallas. You know, like we know that they're a quick team. We know that they can be really threatening in attack, and it just 
for the second week in a row, there just seemed to be, you know, almost a commitment to not defending. They just, everybody's feet are rooted to the ground and you've got a, a San Jose side that the, the thing they do well is hit you on the counter and hit, hit you with speed. So it just, it's sort of like, I don't quite know what they were expecting. I, I don't think San Jose had an amazing game. I thought they had a pretty good game and uh, a great three points for them. Um, the only sort of thing that sours it is the red card to Wondolowski at the near the end of the game where initially a yellow was given and then was overturned after a VAR decision to make it red. I'm not so sure about that, that this is a clear and obvious error. I think it's it's a bad stomp in the heel that Wondolowski accidentally does and immediately acknowledges I know that a player's reaction to their own foul shouldn't change the the color of the card. I just felt like it was, you know, it's the 85th minute. The game's gone. Do we really need to send a player off? I guess I guess we do. I think that kind of like seals for me the the protagonist role that that San Jose had in this match where it's like pretty much everything that happens, you know, Dallas gets their consolation goal to break the clean sheet. And it's like everything really it happens to advance their storylines, it feels. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am not necessarily saying that I think that it was super... It was a stomp. It was a pretty bad-looking stomp to me. And and, and and I do appreciate... Maybe maybe I'll downgrade my assessment to... From, but I'm Chris Wondolowski to... <laughs> oh, shucks, I'm really sorry about that. You wouldn't give me Chris Wondolowski a red card, would you? He does immediately appeal to the referee on that. I think for me it was a little bit more of why the yellow was overturned because I just didn't feel like it was an egregious enough foul. And I'm sure somebody out there is tearing their hair out right now. I mean, like he clips him on the back ankle and he's facing away from the player. Like it, it, lo- it does look bad in the replays. I just don't think there's a lot of intent or like viciousness behind it. And I guess that doesn't really matter so much. So fair enough, but big, big three points for San Jose and. I got. I've got big question marks over Dallas this year. Uh, a team that I used to love to hate, and then I kind of loved to love because I, I just liked how they could spoil people's fortunes, much like San Jose. And I just, I'm not seeing it. I don't. I don't see where anything of Dallas's lineup or their performances so far adds up to a lot of wins this year. Uh, LAFC in Seattle, two teams that often find themselves meeting in the playoffs. Um, had a pretty inconclusive 1-1 draw here. Uh, Atuesta sliding the ball under the wall. Much made here of the fact that Seattle did not employ the, in some senses, goofy player lying on the ground behind the wall. And that this is the one time. But somebody... I love that every game after this one where there was a free kick close to the net, there was a defender lying down. <laughs> They're like, there will be no more daisy cutters this week. Thank you very much. It's like It's like it's the trend. And I think it's a silly trend, but you can't like you can't be the team that says, "Oh, this is silly. I'm not going to do it," because then you're going to be found out. It's like it's mandatory. You have to mandatorily participate in the fad. Yeah, absolutely. It's a fantastic goal from Atuesta. Um, I feel I felt like it's an okay game. Um, not too too much in it. I felt like there. The, the electricity and feistiness that we usually see with these two sides, I imagine if this game was being played in a month from now, we might see more of, but kind of felt like a pretty conservative approach to the game from both coaches. Um, you know, maybe not quite as aggressive as you would expect with these two sides. And then not too far away from the end of the game, uh, Brad Smith just comes in and cleans up in the box for Seattle. Um takes a really kind of difficult header off a second ball to to just <laughs> do the damage and just get it over the line. He gets low. For a point. He gets real low. Um, <laughs> so low you can't hear it. I thought, uh, great from Seattle to come from behind, get a point. Okay game from LAFC. I would say okay from both sides. Probably uh, a result that many would have expected and maybe just expected a few more fireworks in the game but respectable result for two top clubs uh the um i was looking at uh, the the we talked a little bit about atlanta chicago they gave mm-hmm. them a, they gave him a little bit of trouble early on with 
um, Brad Guzan relying on his goalkeeping assist at the post. Um, Ezekiel Barco gets a fun goal where there's a rebound and another Atlanta guy is running to it. And Barco's like, no, and gets there and <laughs> scores it instead. Um, uh, it's just, it's a, that's an, another highlight goal. If, if folks haven't seen it yet, go find that first Barco goal for Atlanta. It's just absolutely absurd skill. Down off the bar from range and in, one nothing Atlanta. The, uh... The Chicago Chicago gets a a, a a cross in that seems almost strange that it should make it, um, and the other thing that seems strange is how much time Mulraney has to turn one, two, three times on the ball, um, before he scores yeah. his goal to make it three one for Atlanta. Yeah, and I would say kind of a return to something we've seen uh, in the past from Chicago is just just not being aggressive enough. Um, you know, kind of being second to every 50-50 ball, um, really not getting tight in enough on Atlanta. Um, I, I don't think there's much you can do about at least two of these Atlanta goals, so I'm not too concerned there. Um, lots of chaos in the closing stages of this game. Chicago just can't clear the ball well. Um, and then Hindman uh, scores in the death and makes it 3-1. Interestingly, though, and again, this is the the game that happened for Atlanta before CONCACAF, I did feel like Atlanta seemed pretty exposed to counterattacks in this game, and it didn't come back to haunt them here. It's just sort of interesting that in a win for them on the weekend, the weakness that was exposed, I'm almost sort of wondering, like, how closely did Philadelphia watch this game to see where they would get their chances with Atlanta. And it really came back to bite them in a big way once they faced Philadelphia. But also uh, good points for Atlanta, Good a good win for them to get them up the table a bit. Feels very momentum-y, you know, when it's, when it's happening for them, it's happening yeah. well. And, 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 and if they had, if they had uh, been scored against, if, uh, if Guzan's assistant was not uh, on point, what may have happened? Um, Gosh, a, that's true, isn't it? A cold, a cold northeast uh, spring clash with New England DC, just a one, a, a tight one nil uh, with an own goal. Goes in off hindsight. It's just such a uh, like, <laughs> uh, just a, a fart in the wind kind of match where you're like, well, one nil result off an own goal. Glad I didn't stay up late to watch that one. I don't think it was on late. I'm just saying. Um, uh, go ahead. The a, another uh, another atmospheric moment for me was to hear finally the the be- the big beautiful hawk of uh, Minnesota's home ground as they mm-hmm. faced RSL. What a lovely noise! What a lovely noise after a long time of uh, of of uh, of. It being not open. Yeah, love love a loon call to start a match. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't as lovely for Minnesota, though, because uh, they lost 2-1 to RSL. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I might be downgrading my uh, assessment of Minnesota's stock after my, my preseason all high on them. Man, Adrian Heath has got some real work to do with this side. I mean, it's so interesting to me that, you know, they give up Mason Toy, who scores goals back to back they give up Kevin Molino it's just not there for Minnesota is it um it just feel like they give up their run give up on their runs too easily too easily beaten to second balls felt like they were holding their line just a little bit too high for a quick counter-attacking team like RSL who was indeed able to capitalize on that um Anderson Julio down by the schoolyard gets his two goals another debut goal scorer as well that seems to be a early theme this season is new players to teams getting off the mark early, which is a certainly promising thing to see. It just, it's sort of like this second goal, you know, it's just this lazy ball back that is picked up and then Julio's open and gets his Robin Ludd make, uh, takes some of the sting out of this one, but just ugh, not a, not a very good game from Minnesota who just, are not really looking like themselves this season so far, are they? No, they need to be, they need to put it together a little bit. You know, I love that, you know, they score this goal and 
try to act like they're, you know, they have this heavy press going on to, uh, with Gasper practically, you know, ragdolling the RSL goalkeeper in order to get the ball back. Mm-hmm. Which is where Ochoa's <laughs> late game antics sort of began. <laughs> As he, of course, later fired the ball into the uh, into the supporters section, and there was a mu- much to do about it. Oh, I didn't know. I did. I hadn't heard about that. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm not super interested in going into it. I think it's a, you know, it's a silly play, and then of course the RSL or uh, Minnesota players had lots to say about it afterwards. Eh. Whatever. Moving on. The game happened. Minnesota really needs to uh, figure themselves out. But what a fantastic result for for uh, Real Salt Lake. Um, I think a team that yeah we've we've also had question marks about, and we haven't always seen them capitalize on games like this. I feel like in the past couple of seasons we've seen RSL, um, you know, find themselves in enviable positions against opponents who are just not playing all that well, and then they just can't really make it happen for themselves. So that was great to see uh, a Real Salt Lake side looking like they've got a little bit more in their locker, as it were. After uh, the loss last week, um, Austin got its first win against away to Colorado. Rapids get the lead uh, with a header goal from Andre Shinyashiki. Um, but Austin, not only did Austin hit the crossbar, but then they have this uh, this goal where everybody it feels is drifting towards the far. You know, everybody is actively defending and overloading the left hand side. And Diego Fagundes is having himself a, a you know a patio party <laughs> on the far post. Look, uh, I guess even though you're kind of in a bubble. Sometimes you still want to practice social distancing and just leave Diego Fagundes wide open. It's fine. It's fine. Leave, leave two meters around Diego Fagundes at all times. Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just all too easy for Austin. I mean, it's a great win for them, but mm, from Colorado, it's it's a, a mightily disappointing performance. Um, just Colorado defenders all over the place. Pretty, pretty old Rapids performance. Uh, can't imagine too many Colorado fans were, were happy about this one. Um, and a great win for Austin. Um, two great goals from Dominguez, who uh, who also has... I love the second goal because it feels like uh, there's a pass. There's a pass from whoever has it that looks like it's just sort of a heavy touch forward. You know, like mm-hmm. he's setting himself up. The player who gets the assist is setting himself up to take a strike, and then all of a sudden, whoops, I'm, or like, like, surprise, I'm here. Surprise, yeah. this is actually me. This is an ice core. <laughs> Hello from the other side. <laughs> we close with Portland, who bounced back from their last Vancouver in the first week with a 2 1 win against Houston. Yeah. I didn't see anything of this game, including the highlights, but well done, Portland come back into it um inter so interestingly after two weeks we have a lot of teams that have won a game a lot of teams that have drawn a game and a lot of teams that have lost a game and only one team remains who's won both of their first games both of yeah, is that right am i saying that, saying that sentence right anyway the important part here is la galaxy find themselves <laughs> just just you know at the uh the top of the west not just not just uh, undefeated, but with the the only team in MLS to win two straight games and have find themselves with six points. I think that speaks to well. I want to I want to give you know Greg Vanny you know the make you know Greg Vanny the smartest person in the room, but it feels like this has just been a real slip slidey first couple of weeks. Certainly, they've looked great, and they have for sure. They have not found uh, their 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 five goal. Their five-goal game largesse. Uh, I wonder when that's going to regress to the mean, but the mean, but they certainly um, have started well here. Absolutely. So, I mean, we're not going to do like a table update every single show, but I just thought it'd be interesting. And just in case you've missed the first couple of weeks, you're still sorting yourself out and getting back into the swing of things. 
In the east, we have Montreal, Atlanta, and New England all sharing four points, um, with Montreal currently taking the top spot with, with uh, goals for being the most, uh, or the difference maker there. And then in the west, we've got, of course, LA Galaxy sitting atop the table with six points, Seattle, LAFC, Kansas City, and Vancouver Whitecaps, all tied with four points. I feel like, yeah, the table is going to move a lot, a lot this year, um, and I mean, it's one of the things I love about MLS is that it's always going to be competitive, but there's just so many factors at play right now that mean that teams don't have their full squad or have had a lack of training or lack of games. And it's just a very strange environment to be playing soccer in. So expect lots of movement in the table. And until, uh, until we, we get to see the next shift of this, uh, of this table, where can we find you online? You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at That's So MLS, and you can find this show at That's So MLS.com and on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you get podcasts. Where can we find you online? You can find me online at Team Bates, www.team-bates.com. And until we uh, speak to you next, don't get sent off, even if you're Chris Wondolowski. <laughs> Even if you're Wando the Wonderful. <laughs>